All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, is Gabe Gums. Today, we have an awesome guest on. Uh, his name is Brian Nugent. He is the Senior Vice President of Information Technology at Infrastructure and Energy Alternatives. Brian, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate your time and really excited to get to know more about you and, and for our listeners to learn that as well. Um, so to open the show up, let's just start things off with uh, telling us about yourself and how you got to where you are. Yeah, so it's been an interesting ride. And um, as, as we've talked before, the, uh, it, it was, is the road less traveled? It's, I'm going to date myself once again, and you know how I feel about that. But 25 years um, in the industry, uh, the, the first part of that was purely by accident. Um, I had got into uh, technology. Um, I had worked in retail, actually, and uh, I remember calling my brother, asking him, uh, "How do I turn this computer on?" And um, once that computer got turned on, it kind of took off and went. So I, I rapidly got into the field and, and learned the field, and, and I've always had a passion for teaching. So uh, you know, one of my first forays was teaching technology to. Uh, to at-risk kids in Indianapolis, at-risk high schoolers oh, wow. um, in Indianapolis. And that just kind of evolved uh, one thing into another. And I, uh, you know, have, have been everywhere from doing network engineering for large law firms to advertising firms to uh, the role I'm in now. And, and the role that I'm in now is a, a very interesting story in of itself in that I had received a job offer from a company in Indianapolis and, and uh, we were ready to go. We had hammered out the terms and, and it was a great position. And I had a recruiter call me and say, Hey, we've got this company um, in Clinton, Indiana that would like to talk to you. And my family seat just happens to be minutes from Clinton, Indiana. Now these are tiny little specks on the map. Um, if you blink, you're through the town. Yeah. And I, I kind of chuckled a little bit, and I said, I just don't know that, that Clinton, Indiana has to offer what I'm looking for, but I will, uh, I'll take the interview nonetheless to do my due diligence. Well, that was 12 years ago, and I'm still there today. Um, <laughs> so I had uh, kind of worked through the ranks and uh, had a lot of great uh, mentors along the way and, and really just settled in uh, with a great team around me. Uh, with a great organization that has grown exponentially. I think that we've discussed before that uh, I went to bed one night, we were a, a $450 million a year company, and I woke up the next day and we were a $1.5 billion company being traded on the NASDAQ. Um, so it, it it has been, and that's over the last three years, so, so it's been three years of madness. Uh, I've been in roles, everything from... Uh, oversight of the help desk, to, uh, a director role to to now the the main role um, within the company um, at the senior management level. So uh, probably the last stop for me um, uh, with the company uh, as far as roles. And uh, you know, unless we we change our structure, we're a company that has by design operated without a chief technology officer, and uh, always felt good about that model. 
and fortunately I have excellent uh, executive support, so I'm able to to get the things done that I would regardless of title. So, uh, right. you know, today, you know, my focus is clearly on uh, mentoring those that have come along on, on the, the strange trip with me and uh, getting them ready uh, and, and groomed uh, for when I um, ride off on a motorcycle into the sunset. So, uh, you know, you got a leather jacket for that? Uh, yeah, well, I've got a fancy leather vest that my wife there you uh, go. makes fun of me for wearing, but um, I do it nonetheless just because she makes fun of me. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, we'll start looking at that in the next 10 years. And uh, again, been fortunate with this company along the way. And, uh, you know, today we're um, over a $2 billion a year company and, and uh, continue to grow. So excited yeah. to see what the next 10 years bring. I can certainly tell you that I could not have predicted in my wildest dreams the previous 10. So, no. um, you know, here we are. So I'm looking forward to the, to the final 10 and, and uh, then hand the madness off to somebody else. <laughs> That's fair. So how do things look right now during these times for a company, an energy company like you guys? How, how have you been handling that um, with your staff and your team? Yeah, it's a great question because it's, you know, at, at first blush, we're at, we're considered an essential company. So, uh, they're, at its core, there's been no disruption to our business. And fortunately, uh, the contractors that work for us and and the subs that we hire and and the owners of the site um, are all considered essential as well, being that they're all involved in the energy sector. So, that platform is in place, and, and we knew very quickly and early on that we would be able to carry on. So what for us became the challenge is this is going to impact the way we work um, from a back office standpoint and how do we support that? And mm-hmm. we went pretty much overnight from probably at 15 to 20% uh, mobile staff to over 85% wow. um, almost overnight. You know, now fortunately, you know, one of the initiatives that we've taken on in the last three to four years is We've worked very hard to, to move our uh, infrastructure environment entirely into the cloud. So we're a very, a very scalable environment. Uh, yeah. We're an environment um, that I like to say can scale up, down, and left to right and adapt to just about anything. So it's been very seamless from a back office standpoint. Now, some of the interesting things that I've seen is the makeup of that 80, 85% of the people that I say went home to work um, overnight um, that maybe had not, there's a good majority of those that had not done that before. So the idea of working from home was uh, very foreign to them. And I think that that was one of the largest obstacles was helping people get through the the mind block of, you know, can I do this and can I function at my job? But what I saw very quickly um, across the company and really across all of our opcos was and it's hard to quantify, and I've had this conversation many times, and I don't know that I ever quantify it correctly, but there was almost a gratefulness that I work for, a, a, you know, an essential company, and I'm still going to have an opportunity to get a paycheck. So although I've not yeah. done this before from home, and I don't really understand how I'm going to do it from home, I'm going to go home and figure it out. And we were, you know, provided the resources to everybody um, 
and and we're quick to ramp up inventory to support that. But that's been an interesting dynamic. And we kind of looked around one day and went, you know, it just works. And I wish I could report a problem so we can say that we're fixing something related to it, but it works. Um, Again, you know, kind of the mindset for us has always been being that we are a hundred percent cloud environment. We really are a remote environment every day. Even if we're in the office, we're a remote environment. Sometimes it's very hard to, to get people to wrap their head around that because it feels so different. Now all of a sudden you're, printing company checks at home or, or you're scanning invoices for AP from home. Uh, but it's, it's been very seamless. I mean, people good. Uh, are not complaining. Uh, the business is not suffering. The business continues to hum along. Uh, we recently reported uh, first quarter results that were very, very strong. Uh, and one of the things that was highlighted is uh, that we've seen no material impact um, from the COVID crisis. And in fact, uh, I can tell you that our help desk team uh, would tell you that hiring is at an all-time high right now uh, because oh, I know that good. they're uh, turning out a lot of new hires right now. So it's uh, it's been interesting, but it, it's been a very positive experience. And I think it gives our executive team, uh, myself included, some pause on how we maybe do business moving forward. And maybe uh, these expensive offices aren't quite as critical as we think they are five days a week. And right. maybe a, a three-day work week from an office and two from home is maybe a nice incentive to offer. So we'll see how it unfolds. Nothing been decided, but it's certainly given people pause. Yeah. So what does that look like with, what does it mean data privacy? What does that mean to you? What does that mean for your company? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because we're a little bit unique in that we don't, we don't store what I consider outside our walls data. So we, we don't store critical or, or sensitive uh, customer data or, or information like that. So our data privacy is very focused on protecting our users' right. um, data. And, you know, regardless of how you set or your setup or, or how you're wired, inevitably you are responsible for a lot of data um, that could be very, very critical um, should a breach take place and fall into the wrong hands. And it can really impact your employee base negatively because we have to house everything from, you know, social security numbers to birth dates to addresses to, you know, basically a, a free pass to, to steal in someone's identity. So, you know, we put a lot of focus around that. And, you know, so for us, the, the data privacy is very tunnel vision, uh, but at the same time, as critical as, as if we were in going ahead and storing customer data or had sensitive government information. Now, that may change for us. Um, you know, one of our operations is, you know, currently going through the, the NITS process and, and, you know, we look at doing more government work. So, you know, we're going to be held to a little bit higher standard there. So we go that route. But today we're very focused around employee data. Um, but one of the things that we found out is with, as we acquired these companies, we had, we're in so many different spaces right now that yeah. we're still a little bit in a phase that we don't know what we don't know yet and uh, how they do business and, and what uh, channels and, and verticals that they may be looking to get into moving forward. But I know that there's been a little bit of focus at, at one of our acquired companies around, um, you know, possibly gearing ourselves up for government type work 
storage and protection of data and operating at that standard. So that a brand new uh, set of challenges. I, I will say that going through the going public process, I, I joke when I said I went to bed one night and woke up and we were a public company. Obviously, it's a little bit longer process than overnight. But, you know, we learned a lot through the the private to public transition, you know, and, and the Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, SOX 404 requirements, the different ITGCs that that come with being a public company and, and really the attention to detail forces you to pay. So I think that for us, it was a good exercise. I know for me personally, having not made that transition, having worked for public companies in the past was one thing, but that transition from private to public is something that you can't quantify until you do it. It's, yeah. it's a really strange uh, ride. And fortunately for us, we, uh, we partnered with two of the big four accounting firms and, and uh, they've been incredibly helpful and, and guided our team. And really today, two years later, I think that we, uh, you know, we're, you're never going to be an expert at it, but I, I, we've, I've achieved a comfort level um, of our knowledge of it and what's expected and what's to be done and our control environment. And more importantly, our employees' ability to operate in that control environment. And I bring that up because it kind of lends itself to, you know, a, a higher level of awareness. So it makes it easier for us to roll out initiatives like multi-factor authentication or, you know, it, 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 putting the rules in place that disallow forwarding to outside domains or, or do whatever the case may be that you do in your day-to-day security that may impact the end user feels a little bit more natural and normal to them now having gone through that process as an entire user base. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, they have to execute those controls. Right. And, uh, you know, having done that and, and them having gotten the habit of, of working in that control environment has certainly made it easy from a security standpoint or easier from a security standpoint to, to implement uh, different types of initiatives that we wanted to get off the ground from a, from a security standpoint. What, what kind of policies have you guys put in place or what have you had to change during these times from the 85%? Um, anything different around data privacy, um, protecting obviously just more protection or any, any kind of changes that you guys have made? We, we had to clarify a, a few policies. You know, there were, there were some users that, uh, you know, asked, can I just go home and, and, you know, connect from my home computer, It'd just be easier for me. I'm used yeah. to working on that. Uh, you know, you have to make them understand why that's not feasible and not possible. But again, for us, it, it didn't change a lot because we connect remotely every day, regardless of, of what desk we sit at or, you know, or if we're out working from the kitchen table at home. The way we connect is no different. Now, with that said, we've become a little bit more vigilant uh, up to repetition of our internal testing, uh, really focused on. Uh, you know, phishing campaigns and and different things like that, just to keep the awareness high. Because one of my concerns was, and I don't care who you are, you come to work in a, a t-shirt, a pair of shorts, and flip flops uh, versus a suit and tie, you naturally get a little bit more relaxed. And part of that getting a little bit more relaxed sometimes is you get a little bit more relaxed in what you're paying attention to on your computer screen and what may be coming in that could be malicious. And, you know, I, sound, I know that sounds uh, in an attempt to be funny, but we found that that was really the case, that users got pretty relaxed after, 
you know, three, four weeks of this. And we wanted to keep them on their toes and let them know that, that we were not only continuing our normal uh, testing and, and, and policy tests that we were also doing it with more frequency. And uh, so that, I think that that has helped, but, you know, again, knock on wood, we, it has been far more seamless than I could have predicted it to be uh, given the circumstances. And I think that is, you know, and you and I have talked about this before. It's clearly a testament to, you know, our architecture team that, that designed this over the last few years that really just sat back for six months and, and sat and looked at every possible scenario um, that could come our way. And, you know, if we had to do something like this, it was already considered and it was built into the plan. So, uh, you know, we were one of the first in the company uh, to put forth our own business continuity plan. And uh, I remember uh, when I rolled that out, it set and collected a a lot of dust on a lot of executives' desks. Uh, by their own admission, they collected a lot of dust, and uh, then all of a sudden this happened, and everybody went into panic, and I said, we're just going to work our business continuity plan, and we'll be just fine. And all of a sudden now, everybody wants a business continuity plan. It's all the rage, so which is great uh, because it needs to happen, but it shows sometimes that, you know, for me, and, and I say that not as a jab at anybody, but you know, sometimes you can almost do it too well and it lulls people to sleep and that's when bad things happen. Yeah. You know, I think that if, you know, I've listened to Kevin Mitnick talk many times and, you know, it's, it's catching people vulnerable um, is what makes social engineering work. And, uh, you know, I think that we've been able to avoid that for the most part. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that this has brought into focus that have been hard to get into focus before now. I mean, when we were one of the only areas of the company with a business continuity plan, that's a that's a hell of a gap to have. And I don't think that gap's going to exist much longer. Yeah. Is there any compliance regulations that you have to comply with uh, as a company? As far as it being remote now or just in day-to-day operations. Yeah, just in general, uh, do you guys have to comply with CCPA, GDPR, um, PCI, PII? Yeah, the GDPR we have to comply with a little bit. Um, I say a little bit in that we don't have a lot of business overseas. Our our business is really contained in our border. So it was more a preemptive strike than a necessary um, change. Um, You know, when we looked at that and, and made sure we could pass muster there, I, you know, internally, we are really bound heavily by SOX 404 requirements and Sarbanes-Oxley Act, uh, you know, being a public company, that is really our guiding principle, if you will. Um, and it is a very stringent guiding principle. There's not many uh, compliance or, or regulations out there that I've seen that are any more stringent uh, than Sarbanes-Oxley is uh, for a company, which is a good thing. Um, because when it becomes required and not optional, um, you can get a lot of work done real quick uh, because the last thing anybody wants is to be responsible for a material weakness because that usually involves empty boxes in your office and an escort out the front door. So nobody wants anything to do with that. So people took it real serious real quick. So 
so yeah, I would say for us, the, the, the primary focus is, is on the SOX 404 requirements. Again, uh, you know, that could shift in the next year or two where, you know, we focus on some of the specific government type requirements for doing government work and things like that. But stay tuned on that. We'll see what that brings. We're, we're not deep enough into that yet for me to, to speak to that of any interest. As a as a set of technologies aimed at being able to provide privacy protections to the data you have, and you specifically mentioned that the, the stuff that you care about most are you know individuals, which is really where privacy comes into play. So you know we can take kind of the intellectual property off the table for a second, um, although that obviously has different privacy requirements. Kind of what what's your bar to entry for for any technology that you're going to use to protect? that individual's information, whether it's, you know, an employees or a partners or et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, that space is very full right now, as, as both of you well know. And, you know, so for us, our focus and really just having come out of the woods um, in this transition to, to a public company and, you know, for lack of a better phrase, taking a moment to catch our breath, you know, now we begin to turn our attention to those companies and what are our next steps and how do we build on this really solid platform that we've put in place because we don't sleep and we don't sit well um, as a group. So, you know, we we're shifting gears there. And what I found is, you know, we, we have spent some time recently really getting our internal house in order, internal, um, controls and order really dialed in, and you know that could be everything from multi-factor multi-factor authentication to you know how a user authenticates internally versus remotely, and and getting you know multi-factor around a VPN connection. You know, in the, in the rare instance that our users still have to use VPN for anything, and really just at honing our experience um, and and adding levels of security there. Now for me. You know, in the chair that I sit in, I look to the third and fourth quarter um, this year coming out of that and really looking to, to see what the next steps are. And and that usually involves engaging a partner um, that, that either we've used in the past or has been recommended by one of our trusted partners. We have a very good relationship, for example, with CDW, with Kaizen, uh, you know, some of the other general players, I, I call them the space that you know, can provide us guidance on, on who to talk to and what to participate in. Because again, it can be overwhelming very quick. That space is incredibly full and ever changing. So I can't say that it's something that we've focused on recently because there's not been a need to, um, with, with, as far as it being in the priority list, not to minimize it, but obviously there's some other things that are time constrained that you have to get done to please the SEC. Um, so that has to be the focus, but it's certainly something that for me, I think about frequently and what are those next steps? Who is our partner in that moving forward and who comes in and, and shows us where there are still holes that maybe we don't know there are holes. You know, I, having been in this 25 years, um, having had uh, two teenage daughters at the same time, um, I've learned to be humble real quick. <laughs> So I'm not afraid to, to say that I don't know what I don't know yet. And so that when I look to a partner for those things, that's what I'm looking for. You're going to have your opportunity to sell me. 
uh, first of all, talk to me about what I don't know yet. And, you know, show me those holes that maybe are right in front of my face that, that we don't realize are holes. And, you know, then we'll form a partnership. So I think for me, that's a third and fourth quarter item probably this year. And it seems like a natural transition is the next step. Makes sense. The, your your assertion, uh, you know, the you don't know what you don't know is one that that I appreciate quite a bit. Um, could you share with our audience things that you did not know several months ago, you know, pre-COVID and before this work from home shift that you do know now that you would share with them in terms of just general advice to how they can deal with these things? I think the first thing, and, and there's a handful of things that, that come to mind is very quick, and that's a great question, so I want to make sure that I give a thoughtful answer, but it's the first thing that came to mind, and I spoke to this earlier, was I had a great deal of angst when this first started, and I was very concerned um, with our ability to just pivot that quickly. Um, people are resistant to change. I mean, people uh, like to come to the office, and people like to to have their domain, and when that gets disrupted, it feels like you're losing part of your work identity, I think. And you're, you're losing part of that camaraderie of the office. And I was really concerned about how that was going to impact people and how that, how people would be able to deal with that. And would that interfere with their ability to adapt to a truly remote environment? And, and how would people be able to exhibit discipline and, and whatnot? So to me, that was the great unknown. But again, as I alluded to earlier, the, the pleasant surprise in that was people just kind of collectively made up their mind. And, and I can speak for our company. And I did not, it's not that I underestimated our group, but it's a, it's a significant change. And it's a change that it's significant and happens quickly without warning. And those are usually really scary changes for people. So for me, that pivot was a big concern. And it turned out, as I said earlier, I was pleasantly surprised that people just kind of made up their mind that, man, I'm going to continue to get a paycheck and I've got to go home to do that. And I'm going to lose a little bit of that camaraderie, but it'll come back and I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And collectively, almost to a person, they just did that. And I could not have predicted that um, at all. And again, it's not underestimating uh, the group or our employee base, but it's just human nature. It's a tough pivot to make on a moment's notice. Um, you know, a, a, a society, an American society is, is very office driven. You know, we are very, uh, we need human interaction outside of our home uh, to make us tick. And, you know, my wife would vouch for that more than anything in the world right now. So, it's, you know, it's one of those things that you looked at and you were nervous about, um, you know, from a business standpoint, I could not estimate, I was not prepared, admittedly, for how quickly inventory dried up across the board so quickly. Um, you know, I, I've never seen um, inventory levels at Verizon or CDW plummet within hours. I, I remember I was involved with a, man, a, a computer manufacturing firm many, many years ago, and there was a, a terrible earthquake in Asia. And I remember 
the earthquake was announced on the news the following morning, and by noon, chip prices had shot up 475%. Wow. And it was that kind of rapid change that I just visually, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, and I wasn't prepared to really have to scrap for inventory. Now, with that said, my infrastructure director did a fantastic job of scouring the planet for inventory and, and got us built up real quick. But it steps you out of your comfort zone very, very quickly. Yeah, that's a great answer. So I have a I have a few questions on my end to add. How is being in your role? I mean, I don't know if you guys have a chief privacy officer or a. I would imagine you have a CISO. Um, how is privacy a part of your role, or why is it why is it important to engage now more than ever in these times? Yeah, and that's a great question, especially as it pertains to our organization. Um, I'm the CTO. I'm the CISO. Uh, <laughs> All of you know, them. I'm the, I'm, I'm the C whatever O you want to put in there in between uh, as it pertains to IT. So it really starts and stops with me. Uh, it, Fortunately for me, the design and the way we've designed our internal structure uh, amongst the IT group is we really have two sides of the house. And to me, it was very important that we had two very distinct sides of the house that could absorb uh, some of that vacuum, if you will, yeah. uh, that exists You know, when it, you have uh, one person that's really acting and, and being responsible for all those roles. So. Uh, we have an, an infrastructure and services side of the house, with, you know, which is day-to-day operations, network design, network security, you know, the overall infrastructure and what makes it tick on a day-to-day basis. And I have a director there, um, really one of the best in the business by far. And then on the other side of the house, uh, we have IT compliance uh, applications and data solutions. Uh, and we have a director there as well that provides oversight for that. And they and and he oversees the IT compliance, uh, general security around IT compliance. You know our data integrity, protection of our data, uh, redundancy of our data, and uh, application development. We do a lot of internal application development uh, with the development team internally. So we're not structured in a traditional sense. You know during our acquisitions, I was very fortunate that I picked up some great resources along the way. Uh, yeah. that, that came as part of the deal that uh, is uh, that we have found really have unique skill sets that we've been able to plug in at different places. But you know, I think for us, that's it's it's made it a more tribal approach, if you will. Uh, you know, we uh, my directors and I operate as a collective uh, when it comes to security, and we make decisions, uh, you know, together and collectively, and it doesn't. You know, although the responsibility starts and stops with me, um, I'm very inclusive when it comes to including my experts because I will be the first to tell you uh, those guys have probably forgotten more than I know. I know part of that I'm approaching 50, um, and the other part of that is they're really good at what they do, but yeah, uh, they're, they're very, very strong. So I trust them a great deal, and their input is paramount to me. And, you know, to date, they we make good decisions. We don't make fast knee-jerk decisions. Uh, we make well thought out, uh, well discussed, um, and well designed uh, decisions 
um, to put forth. So, and I think that's just part of the burden of, of you know, acting uh, as that CTO, the CISO, the you name it, and and and, ha- and taking on that responsibility is you really have to be able to have the right people around you, and because that's those those roles are impossible for one person to do. Yeah. And if you if if you can't choke on your pride a little bit and so I'm, I, I'm not afraid to surround myself with people that are a heck of a lot smarter than I am. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, they, they will uh, make sure that we don't fail. So it, we're designed uniquely like by that, but uh, these are both uh, fellows that have been with me a lot of years. And, you know, I, I know inside and out, they know me inside and out and we have a fantastic working relationship and we share the same goals and we share the same vision, and uh, it's designed collectively. So everything we do is collective, very much the same way at a CTO, a CISO, and you know the executive VP of IT would collaborate. Yeah. We collaborate at that same level with that group. Yeah, it's important to be obviously with anything to be on the same page and to have the same goals. That's really good. What? So I got a fun question for you. If you had a hundred dollars to spend on security and privacy. If that's all you had, where would you spend it? You think? I know it's tough. <laughs> I could spend it on anything that I wanted. Yeah, if you only had a hundred dollars to spend on security and privacy, where do you think you would spend it? Probably on dinner for my director of infrastructure and architecture, <laughs> because a he loves to eat, and b when he's well fed, he makes great security decisions. There you go. Uh, that would be the first. That would be the first spot I spent that hundred dollars. But in all seriousness, you know, I I, I would probably put that a hundred dollars down um, on as we talked about earlier, getting a consultant in the door, yeah, and starting to build a relationship to expose me to those don't know what we don't know items, yeah, um, and, and involve the two gentlemen that I discussed. So. You know, th- those would be two places that I could burn through a hundred bucks pretty quick. <laughs> that's fair. You can just put a down payment and then uh, work your way. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, one last serious question for you. Um, when you hear the term data privacy and data security, when you think of those two things, I like to ask uh, everyone, what is it, what comes to mind? What's the difference between the two to you when you think of those two terms? You know, I think for me, that term is synonymous with integrity. And that's integrity of everything you do. It's, it's the integrity and the insurance assurances that you give your employee base, that their information is protected. Um, it's the integrity of your overall data that, that supports your functional jobs and, and the back end of what you do on a day-to-day basis. It is, to me, ensuring the absolute protection of every ounce of critical data that we have. You know, the, the data we have, while not necessarily sensitive, is sensitive to us because it's our financial history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's current history on on $85 million jobs. It's uh, it's employee history, it's payroll history. You know, it, it, it is our company's history um, for many, many years. So the integrity of that data and the protection of that data, um, you know, so that comes to mind for me. Now, obviously, there's so much more that goes into that. I just can't mm. wake up one morning and go, our data has integrity. 
Um, you know, there's a lot that is involved with that, but putting the tools in place uh, to ensure that integrity, again, and not being afraid to learn about what you don't know, uh, having a well thought out plan that is not 30 days at a time. You know, again, that it's easy for me to talk about things that I know that will be on our roadmap in the third and fourth quarter uh, that that we will look to be taking security uh, to the next level. Because, again, you know, sometimes it gets it gets a little bit blurred because, you know, companies that 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 work in the data security space, you know, they're looking to protect that sensitive data and that you know, that really critical sensitive data that just should not fall in the wrong hands. And, you know, it, it could amount to espionage or whatever the case may be. But for me, our data is just as sensitive. Um, and if I don't treat it that way, then I'm doing our employee base a disservice. Right. Uh, so for me, I, I, those are the organizations that I look to. I want the people that, you know, are, are protecting uh, companies uh, IP and uh, you know the trade secrets and and things like that. That's why I want talking to me about our um, employee data and how do we better protect that and how do I stand in front of three thousand employees and tell them we got your back. Yeah. And and do that with a clear conscience. So, you know, for me, it's it's very much the same. It's it's very different, obviously, to on the surface. But for me, the passion about it is very much the same. Yeah, you can hear that, and uh, certainly we can appreciate it. You know, data privacy is becoming more and more important, more than ever now. It's it's kind of the beginning of it, but it's also not of how important it is for organizations to really buy into it and for you guys to be kind of different from other industries where they're holding sensitive data from customers and outside people that aren't inside the the company for you to be so passionate and have such a strong plan behind it uh, for your employees internally is also just as important. And I'm glad that you kind of really touched on that. I think that's important for our listeners. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, not just our industry and, and you and I've discussed this before that, that landscape has evolved so quickly. And, uh, you know, to me, looking at IT as a whole and the many different spaces involved in that, to me, that is one that has probably changed quicker over the last five to seven years than any other part of the industry. Uh, you know, obviously, it's uh, the industry as a whole is ever evolving, but that it has, has changed in ways that I really can't recall a part of IT changing so quickly. Um, and becoming so in focus and the landscape changing so dramatically, so quickly as, as security uh, and, and data security, employee data security, whatever data you're protecting, yeah. just the focus on that and uh, the many different tools that are available. And I think for a lot of companies, it almost can be overwhelming. And, you know, that's where I think it's very important that you're deliberate in choosing your partners and really getting the partner again that, that can take you through, you know, sometimes it's hard for, for vendors to get out of sales mode. Um, I like a vendor that can go into education mode first yeah. um, and get me comfortable with them and their ability uh, to understand what my needs are. Um, and then I'll be happy to spend money with you. But, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes that space gets a little bit cluttered 
and the more cluttered it gets, the more competitive it gets. And, and obviously right. at the end of the day, it's about revenue. So, you know, I get that, but it's, that space is, has been interesting to follow to say the least. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen, you know, in the last 25 years that you've been in this industry, I'm sure the last few years have been an uptick in outreach from vendors and companies and stuff, I would imagine around data privacy. and. Security. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, I, you know, hate to keep going backwards, but you and I had, had discussed this previously is, you know, there were, there was a day that password one, two, three was good enough. And <laughs> you kept that on a sticky note on your monitor and, you know, you were good to go. And yeah, you did, you know, you forgot your password. The IT guy asked you, why didn't you have it on a sticky note on your monitor? And fast forward now that five to seven years that I'm talking about. And, you know, you're talking about clear desk policies. You're talking about, you know, yeah. that landscape has changed so dramatically and it's not, you know, for IT, it's hard enough to keep up with, uh, but could you imagine bringing executives along with that and, you know, getting, getting dollars earmarked for that? You know, fortunately we have an executive team that, that listens and, yeah. you know, there's been a great deal of, of focus this year on that and security and, you know, we we're we're kind of used as as a model uh, for you know controls that we have in place among sister companies and whatnot. So, uh, you know, our executive team takes a lot of pride in that. But I would be remiss if I said it's good enough because I'll, by the time I go to sleep tonight, that landscape will have changed again. Right, it's always ever changing, and um, again, it's good to hear that someone in your position, obviously it's important for you to pay attention to that because every single day there's something new and you always have to, um, you know, look at your options. You always have to, you know, ever be changing with the changing times, especially now during this time. Um, it's, it's changing the course of everything for us as well with uh, 85% working at home, like you mentioned, you know, most companies in that same position. So it, it again, creates another shift to how important, data privacy is because now that you have all your, most of your employees working from home, that data becomes even more vulnerable um, from their laptops to their family members to whoever comes into their house and can, you never know what can happen to that laptop or whatever, or who can actually get access to it. So. Yeah. They, you know, you, you make a good point there. You, you're putting, you know, although you, you what you're doing at its core is the same. You know, you're connecting the same way, you're, but you're taking it out of a controlled environment and putting it out into the wild. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've seen some pretty feisty little five-year-olds that can get in a computer pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, and, and you never know what may happen at that point. You know, so, you know, that that's an interesting point that you raise is, you know, I, because it reminds me that, in about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I, I participated in a CIO roundtable, and it was interesting to me. But you know, as this began to change and really evolve, and and people were going home, yeah. and and working from home, and and workforces were become remote. It was interesting to me that the companies that were bigger than we are um, were very focused on. Oh my God, how do we? get this. We're not ready for this. We're not prepared, you know, for a workforce to be remote at home. And I'm looking at it and going, we've got the work from home part. What are our next steps? What, what are our holes that are being created now? Where's our exposure in this? And just the evolution of 
the mindset through that transition was incredibly interesting to listen to because it was, it, it took, I was taken back, honestly, that a, I listened to companies that were so woefully unprepared for this. And, you know, and I was very surprised at where people's focus were at that moment in time, because, you know, my team was focused on that two years ago. So we were prepared. We were built for this, as, as mm-hmm. I've said many times. And, you know, so for me, it, it, I walked away and felt good about where we were at, but I was more motivated than ever to keep it moving. To keep going. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and to really begin to fill in the gaps that may be there. That's awesome. Uh, again, this is, this is so good because for our listeners, it's just nice to hear uh, from your experience and your voice all the from a different industry that we don't usually normally get to to discuss with, which is really neat. I guess to I have a, a couple funny questions to ask you, but I wanted to ask you if you had any anything else that you wanted to touch on before we that we didn't touch on that you wanted to bring up. Any 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 advice for someone in your position or wanting to be in your position one day that you could give? I don't do it. <laughs> Just. Go back. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I had an opportunity recently and, and that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I won't beleaguer the answer, but I had an opportunity uh, recently to career mentor uh, a young man that was entering the uh, IT space. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I really had to instill in him was patience and uh, patience is, is a lost art. Uh, because people come out of school these days and, and they just expect the title, the money, the the role. And what they don't realize is the experience and trust you build within an organization over time is far, far more important uh, than your educational accolades. Mm-hmm. Certainly the educational accolades are certainly important, but the trust uh, that you build with executives and the trust that you build with leadership within a company is what will ensure your success um, in the long term. Uh, now, since then, he's kind of adopted that approach and, and his career is is really starting to take off and it, and it was great to see. So, you know, I my advice would be exercise patience and learn what patience means uh, because patience isn't a 15-minute thing. It's a 24-7 everyday thing. And, you know, people coming out of school and getting into this space, that's what I would tell them. And I would also say don't shoehorn yourself. Uh, Don't feel like you have to be an expert at everything. Uh, You know, I would rather be uh, great at a lot of things and uh, versus being excellent at one thing and an imbecile at the rest. You know, so... It's uh, and that's kind of been my approach. So that would probably be my advice to people breaking into the space. Yeah, um, is is patience and and don't shoot on yourself. There's there's so much out here in the landscape as we've talked about ad nauseum in this conversation is is ever changing. So that's a great point. I, I can kind of relate. I have some uh, younger um, nephews and stuff that have that same approach where they're they're wanting to find the perfect company, perfect title, perfect amount of salary right out of uh, college. And you, you gotta, you gotta go dive in and you gotta get experience and you gotta fail because that's the only way yeah. you're going to learn. You gotta fail. Yeah. You can't be afraid yeah. to either. 
Yeah, and I think so many times uh, in this day and age, people are afraid to fail. You know, as a, a, a useless anecdote to our conversation is I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan. I'm a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers the whole nine yards. I, I oh, bleed wow. green and gold. Don't, don't ask me if I'm from What do you think about that uh, draft draft pick in first round? Uh, you know, next question, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't have to dive into that. <laughs> yeah, no. so it, you know, but the, the point I'm trying to make there is, you know, Vince Lombardi was one of the great coaches of the Packers. And Vince always said, it's not whether you get knocked down, but whether you get back up. Um, and people are afraid to get knocked down. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the learning comes in the getting back up. So, you know, you know, if there's a young guy in the audience or young gal in the audience right now that is breaking into the space, go take some lumps. Uh, you might be surprised at what you learn and how well it serves you in the long run. Right. That's great. Um, so I got one funny question for you. Um, you mentioned you had teenage daughters. I don't know if they're older now, but what is the weirdest thing? you and your family have done during the quarantine? Yeah. So, um, they're not teenage daughters anymore, Cam. Um, okay. And you know, so there's grandkids involved now, Cam, if you really got to know, um, you, you know, you don't get this without <laughs> grandkids. So, you know, I, I think, uh, some of the funniest things that I've seen is, um, you know, following my daughter as she's juggling, nursing school, being a single mom, uh, raising two young kids, uh, is watching what a cool mom she is. Um, she has really got her mom game down and that's been fun to watch. And it's not something that I've got to pay a lot of attention to, um, in, in the past, you know, it, it, because it, it don't blink, it, it goes real fast, but yeah. you know, now you can slow it down a little bit and, and watch that. And, um, you know, I shake my head some days. I think, my God, I hope the police don't get called on me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's doing a fantastic job uh, raising kids. So that's been fun to watch. I don't know if it's funny. Um, it's funny to me. I mean, until you see it, you can't really understand it. But, of course, um, you know, watching your granddaughters make fashion choices at, at you know, their ages um, would make a Crayola 64-count box uh, <laughs> cower in fear, I'll tell you that. Well, that's awesome. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And again, I appreciate you being on with us. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Cam. Um, I really enjoyed the time. I enjoyed the thoughtful questions uh, and, and wish you the best. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. And uh, thank you for, uh, for being on for our listeners. We'll see you next time. You bet. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.